I want you to get your outlines out of your bulletin, and this is part two of our Haptitude series. And if you're new, you're probably going, what is Haptitude? It really is a compilation of two words. The first word really is happy, which means in Scripture, it means providential favor, and, and, and aptitude, which deals with capacity. So I believe that God has given every one of his children, you and I, the capacity to have providential favor or to have a happy life. And so many times we look at life differently from Scripture, but if we fulfill the the character qualities that we see in the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus is trying to communicate to us that happy, blessed is the word happy. It means happy is, happy are. So he's saying happy are you when you do these things. He's saying he could have started with heaven. He could have started with hell. He could have started with finances. He could have started with stewardship. He could have started with his own self being the son of God, which came to take away the sin of the world. But Jesus started this lengthy discourse called the Sermon on the Mount with us learning how to become happy. I told you last week, I believe that is because so many of us are seeking happiness in this world. Everyone knows someone that's trying to become happy. Maybe you're one of those people, you're trying to find happiness in this life. Because Jesus knows that that affects all of us. He comes to this point and he says, listen, happy are you when you do these things. And today I've entitled the message, Be Happy, Be Comforted. Now, how many of you remember your first love when you were growing up? Your very, very first love. Well, some of you have not lived. You don't have a love yet, huh? Wow, that's a lonely existence. We'll pray for you. Almost everyone remembers their first love. Absolutely. Mine was in second grade, Julie Floyd, black flowing hair. I ran out at recess. I couldn't resist myself. Kissed her on the cheek. Amen. How many of you remember your first heartbreak? It was probably your first love. Julie Floyd ran and told the teacher I got grounded from recess the next time we went out. Found out it was inappropriate for a second grade boy to kiss a second grade girl on the cheek, especially when she wasn't expecting it. All right. We have all gone through some kind of heartbreak, some kind of mourning, some kind of low moment in our life. Every single one of us. So no wonder Jesus' very second point here in verse 4 focuses on those who are mourning, those who are heartbroken. He says, happy are you who are mourning. Why? Doesn't that seem like an oxymoron? Happy if you're mourning. Why can we be happy if we're mourning? Because it goes on to say, because you will be comforted. Now the word comforted here, if you look it up, it really means this. It means to be comforted through strength. And God is saying that if you are mourning, you can find happiness if you turn to me because I will not only provide comfort to you, but I will comfort you and strengthen you in that process. There's something about going to God and and being connected with God that allows us to walk through this life. And he's saying, listen, everyone's going to go through times where you're brokenhearted, where you're distraught, where you're grieving. You're going to go through times where you've lost a friend or a family member, maybe a spouse. You're going to go through times where you've lost a home or a business. You're going to go through times where you're grieving and you're mourning over it. He said, blessed are you, happy are you when you get to that moment, because I will be there personally to provide strength and comfort to you. How do you experience this comfort that God gives us? Look in your notes, number one. You find God's comfort through realizing that God is with you. 
You got to realize that God is with me. Now, when you're going through great moments, you understand that. When you're on the highest of highs, you get it. I mean, it's like Jesus is everywhere you turn. There's another sign. There's another moment where God reveals his grace to you. So you're excited, but it's when you're in the lowest of lows, when you're grieving and you're mourning in your spirit, that sometimes God seems distant and he seems far away, doesn't he? We're reminded this morning in Psalm 34, 18, it says, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He saves those who are crushed in spirit. God says, listen, I am with you always. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. In the middle of your pain, in the middle of your mourning, there am I. He said, I am right there beside you. Even though you've turned maybe away from me, maybe you're focused on something you shouldn't be focused on. I am right there in the middle of your pain. I'm with you. I'm with you. And I don't know about you, but that alone brings me comfort this morning. Just to know that God is standing right beside me and he's there to help me. And if you're here this morning, and I, I know that in a congregation our side, there's people that are here that are struggling. You're, you're, you're in mourning, you're grieving, something's gone on in your life and maybe your family or your business. I want you to remember some things. And for those of you that aren't, it's definitely gonna happen at some point. And here's the first thing I want you to remember. Look in your notes. I want you to remember that God is aware that you need comfort. God's aware. Job, who was probably, he'd probably gone through more than any other human being that's ever walked the planet. And Job says this, he says, you, O God, you keep a close watch on all of my paths. He says, it doesn't matter where I travel. You don't only know that I'm there. You keep a close watch on all of my paths. See, God is watching you this morning. God knows exactly where you are. He knows exactly what's happening in you. And wherever you've put your foot to, whatever path you begin to go down, God says, listen, I'm keeping a very, very close watch on you. I know exactly what's going on. I am keenly aware of what's happening in your life. Some of you think that nobody knows what you're going through right now. Some of you are seated here and you don't think anyone can even identify with what's happening. Can I tell you something? Jesus knows exactly what's happening in your life. We have a God, the Bible says, who's able to sympathize with us when we're in our times of weakness. He has experienced everything like you, every emotion that you and I are experiencing or maybe what you're experiencing right now. And he's able to minister to you. He is aware. Number two, God cares. The Lord is good, Nahum 1.7, a refuge in times of trouble. He cares for those who trust him. He's not only aware, but he absolutely cares. He's sympathetic. We have a heavenly father who watches over, who doesn't leave us nor forsake us. We have Jesus, who's a friend that sticks closer than that brother. We have a God who's with us always, even till the end of this age. We have a God who cares. And thirdly, we have a God who wants to help. See, it'd be one thing to say, well, I care, but it's another thing to be involved and to want to help. God wants to be involved in your life and actually bring strength to you in your time of trouble. Remember, happy are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. They will be given comfort and strength. God is saying, listen, I want to be involved in your everyday life. I want to be involved in your grieving. I want to be involved in your mourning. I want to be involved in your troubled times. I know what you're going through. I'm aware and I care and I want involvement. I can give you strength as you go through those moments. Hebrews 4, 16 reminds us, let us approach God with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. We can find mercy and find grace to help us 
in our time of need. See, some people grow through their pain and some people get stuck in their pain. Why is that? Why is it that some people get stronger? Why is it that some people are able to get through it? Why is it that some people are able to plow through and to continue to continue on with life and that some people just get stuck in where their pain happens? I believe it's because people aren't able to do what step number two is. See, if you just realize that God's aware, you'll never get to number two. Number two in your notes is you need to learn to release the pain. Release the hurt. Release the bitterness. Release the grieving. Release it. Well, pastor, you know, that's easier said than done. Yes, it is. Because in our sinful state, what we like to do is we like to hold on to it. We like to harbor it. We like to tell people what has happened to us, especially if it's an injustice. It's hard to let go of it because we want everybody to empathize and sympathize with us. And we don't think they will unless they know that we've been wronged. And so we have to hold on to it instead of releasing it. And you'll never get to a healthy place. You'll never get beyond your mourning or grieving. You'll never get to a place where you move past it until you release it. That's what God says. And here in your notes, you say, how long, how can we do this? Stop focusing on what you've lost and start focusing on what's left. Let me say it again. Stop focusing on what you lost and start focusing on what's left. Poor widow came to the prophet and she says, I have nothing. He goes, you have nothing? She goes, well, I've got just a little bit of oil. That's what she had left. That's where the miracle happened. And in your life, I don't know what you have left. Maybe you've lost a spouse over 50 years or 60 years of marriage and you're looking and you're grieving and you're retelling the story over and over and over in your heart and in your mind and in your spirit. And it's causing you to hold on to that grieving in that morning longer than you should. Release that to God and look at what you have left. Maybe a beautiful family. Maybe grandchildren, a great-grandchildren, a great church family that loves you, a small group, a Sunday school class, friends and family members that have been reaching out to you, that care for you. What do you have left? That's the secret of moving beyond. But you have to choose. Because here's your choice. Number one, you get to choose, number one, either to repress it. In your notes, you repress it. You push it down, you swallow it, you pretend it's not there, you slide it under the rug, you put on a happy face, you act like you're not really hurting, it's okay, and you never deal with it, you just repress it. Can I tell you something? You'll become a part of the walking wounded that we all bump into. Because see, hurt people, what do they do? They hurt people, yeah. And so if you repress it, what happens is you're just causing that hurt to stay inside and then it just bubbles out at the wrong times. And you begin to hurt family and friends and people that you really, really love and you don't want to offend and you end up offending them because you've repressed it. So you get to choose. Are you going to repress it or are you going to release it? Number two, you could choose to rehearse it. I know people that do this and they do it very well. In fact, we're great at doing this, aren't we? Especially if there's an injustice. Well, do you know what such and such did to me? 
And we go to somebody in the church or somebody in our family or somebody at work and we tell the story over and over and over again. We rehearse it and we feel better because we got it out there. Somebody sees it from our vantage point. And then we'll go over here to somebody else who, who will listen and anybody who'll listen, we'll just rehearse the story and dredge it up all over again. And then because we feel better about it, we'll go over here and we'll just rehearse it again. We'll tell the story all over again. You know what we're really doing when we do that? We're causing that pain that was in our heart, that, that wound that was in our heart, we're cutting it at the exact same spot over and over again. It becomes deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. The deeper it goes, the harder it is for it to be healed. The deeper it goes, the deeper that seed is planted of bitterness and resentment. The deeper it goes, the harder it is to get back on track with God. And God says, listen, there's a big difference between mourning and moaning. He says, if you want to mourn, he says, then you come to me and I'll give you strength through your comfort. I'll give you strength in your comfort. But when you moan, what you're doing is you're saying, poor, poor, pitiful me. I've been wrong. Look at how they've wronged me. And you begin to sing a song and you begin to get people on your story and you begin to play that violin, right? How many of you know somebody like that? How many of you seated beside that? Somebody, just nudge them. Say, you're like that. You tell too many stories. Amen. See, we... We rehearse it over and over and over in our lives, and we just keep hurting ourselves. You can choose to either repress it, rehearse it, or number three, or you can actually resent it. You can actually resent that somebody hurt you, and you can begin to think about how you can get that person back. No one in this room probably has ever done that. You've probably even, because we're Christians, you've never prayed a prayer, oh God, I know that you will do it, so Lord, you just let them have it. Right? I mean, we've, we're much too spiritual for, for injustice to just fall upon somebody that's hurt us. We would never lower ourselves to that standard, even though I've done it a few times. I know you haven't done it. Amen. But that's what we do, don't we? When we begin to resent somebody, we're building a seed of bitterness in our life. And that seed, the Bible says, takes root in our heart and it springs forth an ugly harvest. It begins to come out in, in ways that we didn't think it would. And it begins to come out towards people that we didn't intend it. I mean, maybe I was resentful towards Mary. And all of a sudden, I, I'm mad at Mark. And I'm mad at this person. I'm mad at this person. Because it just comes bubbling out. Because it's what's in my heart. See, the Bible says, guard your heart for above all things. Why? Because it is the wellspring of life. And when you let bitterness and resentment grow within your heart, you're literally destroying or polluting the very life stream that God's been trying to give you. So, I mean, you can choose to do that way, but that doesn't work out very good in this life. I mean, you can repress it, you can rehearse it, you can resent it, or you can, number four, you can release it. And this is really the only healthy way to do it. You can just release it to God. You can say, Lord, like it does in Romans chapter 12, verse 19, do not take revenge, God. I'm not going to take revenge but I'm going to leave room for your wrath, for it is written, it is yours to avenge. You will repay, says the Lord. I don't care what you do. You, you may choose to handle that person completely different than I would do. Lord, I'm just going to give that to you and let you know that, Lord, you're more than able to handle those people in my life. And I'm just going to focus on you. I'm going to come to you for strength. I'm going to continue to let my light shine. I'm going to let the glory of God and the goodness of God and the grace of God be a part of my strength. I'm going to let the joy of the Lord strengthen me. I'm not going to worry about what those people have done to me. I'm going to focus on you. You're the author and the perfecter of my faith. See, Isaiah 43, 18 says, do not dwell on the past. 
Don't dwell on it. Don't harbor it. Don't let it keep replaying in your mind. Don't dwell on the past because here's what God says. I want to do a new thing. Wow. Some of us are so much living in the past, we can't get into what God wants for us today. We're still talking about what mom and dad did to us when we were five years old. and Huh? We're talking about, you know, how our first boyfriend or our first fiance or how this person or that person. Can I tell you something? God's got something new for you. He's waiting for you to get that out of the way and to move beyond that. Get that under the blood. Get that under the grace of God. Receive it. And there, I understand that there are scars from our past. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm just talking about you choosing to hold on to it. Don't hold on to it. Give it to the Lord. Release it to God. And let God's grace begin to flow through you. Psalm chapter 10 has been called a, the victim psalm for people who have been victimized, especially unjustly. And I would encourage you, if you find yourself in that situation and you need a healing this week, go to that psalm and pray through every single line of that psalm. But in verse 14, here's what David said. He said, but you, O God, do see the hurt. He says, you see it. You know that I'm hurting right now. He said, you see my grief and the pain and you call that person into judgment. You avenge the helpless and the victims. See, something, some injustice has been done in your life. God says, give it to me, I'll avenge you. God, I know that you see my injustice. You see my pain. You see my grieving. You see my hurting. You see my crying out. See, David knew where to go. He knew the God of all comfort. And he went to God and the spirit of God came to him and began to move and do something great in his life. See, when you leave it in God's hand, God can take ashes and make something beautiful from it, can he? How many of you are familiar with MAD, Mothers Against Drunk Drivers? Anybody know about MAD around here? Anybody mad in the service yet, the pastor? Amen. No, not that kind of mad. No, MAD, Mothers Against Drunk Drivers. You know how that, you know how that organization started? There's a, a teenage, teenager, a mom's teenage, teenage child, and, and a drunk driver killed them, and, and they were victims, and they could have held on to that resentment, that bitterness. They could have sued those people. They could, have, they could have held on to that for their whole life. It could have destroyed and poisoned their entire life and all the relationship in their life. But instead, they released that, and they said, we're going to turn this around, and we're going to do something positive with all this feeling and all this emotion we have. And they started an organization called Mothers Against Drunk Drivers to raise the awareness of drunk And state laws have been changed in every single state because of their action. So what are you going to do? What are you going to do with the resentment and bitterness and the things that happened to you? God, Jesus knew that it was going to happen. That's why he, right, right there, blessed are you who mourn. Number two, second thing he deals with, happy are you who mourn and grieve or brokenhearted. Because I'm going to come personally and strengthen you through that kind of comfort. How do you experience God's comfort? Number three, lastly, number three. Rely on God's resources. Rely on God's resources. What are God's resources? When your notes, number one, I think you can always rely upon God's word. And all God's people said, amen. amen. How many of you have ever turned to this book and found comfort in a time of need? Let me see your hand. Come on, be a testimony to somebody that's struggling this morning. This book is filled. You know, they tell us there are 7,000 promises in this book. 
I would encourage you to get in this book and underline them and highlight them and circle them and write them down and pray them and claim them for yourself and pray through them. Every single one of them, make sure you get in there and you make sure you get enough of God's promises inside of you. Meditate on it, memorize them, pray through them so that you can get it inside of you. This book is unique. This book is unlike any other. This book comes alive when you get it on the inside. When you read this book, the book starts reading you and it begins to tell you where your shortcomings are, where you need help, where you need encouragement, where you can find comfort. This book is what gives us life. And you got to get into God's word. I love how it's written in the message Bible. David is going through this incredible time of grieving in Psalm chapter one night in chapter one nineteen verse twenty five in the message it says this I feel terrible anybody identify huh I feel terrible and he goes on to say this I couldn't feel worse he's at his lowest of all lows he says get me on my feet again you promised remember when I told my story you responded train me well in the depth in your deep wisdom. Help me understand these things inside and out so that I can ponder your miracle wonders. My sad life's dilapidated. A falling down barn is what it is. Build me up again by your what? Word. See, my life is falling apart. It's dilapidated. It's like a building that's falling apart. It's being eroded. He says, but God, I know your promises in this book. I know them sure well. You've given them to me and you're going to build me up by your word. Get in this book. He goes on to say this. He says in verse 49, remember what you said to me, your servant. I hang on to these words for dear life. For these words hold me up in bad times. Yes, your promises even rejuvenate me. Insolent ridicule me without mercy, but I do not budge from your revelation. I watch for your ancient landmark words. I know I'm on the right track, but when I see the wicked ignore your directions, I'm beside myself with anger. I set your instruction to music and sing them as I walk this pilgrim way. I meditate on your name all night. God treasuring your revelation. Oh God, still I walk through the rain of derision because I live by your what? Word and counsel. David is going through this unbelievable time of mourning. He is beside himself. He said, my life could not be worse. And where does he turn? He turns to the book. He turns to the word of God. He meditates on the word of God. He even puts it to song. He sings it. He puts it in the last thing on his mind when he goes to sleep. First thing when he wake, wakes up, and he's able to stand up and he say, God, I know that all things will work together for good to them that love the Lord. I know that you promised that you would never leave me, nor will you forsake me. I know that you're with me always, even till the end of this age. I know, God, that you're working on my behalf, even right now. I know that even though I don't see you, that your spirit is with me. I I know that you're beginning a good work in me and you'll complete it until that day. I know that the grace and goodness of God is being spoken over my life. I know that. Why? Because it's in this book. And see, if you don't get those things in your heart and in your mind, you can't say those things by memory. You won't have it because it's in the book. You've got to get in the book and know that those promises are being spoken over you. In the Beatitudes, the word blessing means this, a pronounced blessing. Think about it. 
Jesus is speaking over every child of God this morning. This one promise. Blessed are you. Happy are you. I'm speaking this over you. If you're mourning and you're grieving, he said, I will comfort you in strength today. That's my promise. Amen. See, God said, my whole reason for coming, Jesus said, is to be the mender of the brokenhearted. So you got to know this book. Number two, you can be comforted by God's resources by being around God's people. You and I are designed to be a part of the family of God, to be connected members of the body of Christ, to know one another and be known, to love one another and to be loved, to serve one another and to be served. We have to know one another. I encourage you to get into a small group or connect class, Sunday school class, so that you can know somebody and be known by them. I wouldn't want to go through life's trials without having somebody in my corner. Amen. Why go through life lonely when you have a church family that can love you and be a part of everything that God wants to, to do and bring out in your life? Second Chronicle or Corinthians says it this way. May the God of all comfort who comforts us in our times of troubles so that we can comfort one another and comfort. And so let me say this again. So that we can comfort others with the comfort ourselves have received from God. He said, you're going to receive comfort from God. Yes, that's a promise from the Lord through the Beatitudes. We've already seen it. And why? So you can comfort somebody else. Here's what happens when we start grieving or when we mourn. We begin to think that we're the only ones that have ever encountered this problem. Have you ever thought that? Surely no one else in the world has ever gone through what I'm going through. Or they're not having to do it in the way that I've done it. Can I tell you, that is a lie from the enemy this morning. That there's people in this room right here, right now, that know exactly what you're going through and have already gone through it. And if you just knew them, you could go to them and receive comfort through them because they would show you the way they've already traveled. That's why we need one another. In the same way we receive grace in our time of need, we extend that grace to someone else. And thirdly, God's resources is God's spirit becomes our comfort or is our comfort. God's spirit is a resource. God's spirit. Let me explain this. 2,000 years ago, the Bible says Jesus took the form of flesh and he lived and he dwelt among us and he walked on this planet. He experienced everything, every emotion that you and I will ever feel. He experienced it. That's why he's able to sympathize with us in our time of weakness. That's what scripture says. And Jesus called his disciples together when he said, now listen, I'm gonna explain something to you that, that is for your benefit. He says, it is more beneficial it is more beneficial for me to go and to, and to send someone else in my stead. It is more beneficial for me to leave you. And the disciples, I bet, were beside themselves. By this time, they had understood this is the Messiah, the Son of the living God, who comes to take away the sin of the world. How could it be any other way? I mean, why would it be better if he leaves us? It can't be better than being in the presence of God himself. But Jesus said, no, no, it's, it's better if I leave. How is it better? He said, because if I leave, I will send somebody else to take my place. Now, what was he saying? He says, while I'm here in this bodily form, I can only be at one place at one time. I can only minister to the people that are right here that are around me. The people that I can touch, the people that can hear my voice, the people that can experience what, what I can do for them. I can only do so much while I'm here. But when I leave, I'm going to send somebody else. I'm going to send my spirit, the Holy Spirit. And he can be everywhere. See, there's no place that you can go on this entire planet, whether you go to the highest mountain or you go to the lowest valley, 
Whether you hide yourself in a cave or you put yourself in Main Street, USA, whether you go to Times Square and you're surrounded by hundreds of thousands of people, there is no place that you can go in this entire world where God's Spirit is not already there. And what did Jesus say about this Spirit? It's a Spirit of truth. Yes, it'll guide you and lead you into all truth. What else did He say about it? He called the Spirit the Comforter. The Comforter. His name, his ministry, his job description, if you will, while the Holy Spirit is here, is to help comfort us in our time of need. No wonder Jesus could stand up at the Sermon on the Mount. It says he went to a high place and he began to speak to those who followed. No wonder he began to speak there in Matthew and say, happy are you when you're grieving when you're mourning when you're in a down state happy are you boy probably had their attention that day didn't he they probably went what that's what i'd have done my hand went right what did i hear you right i don't have that in my notes correct here happy are you when you mourn and grieve and go through all kinds of difficult times how can that be lord because i'm going to be right where you are provide comfort to you and strengthen you through that comfort. Wow. That's God's promise to you. Some of you are here this morning and you're walking through a difficult time. I know you are. I see the prayer requests that come in. I I read through them. I I know that you're struggling in your finances. I know you're struggling in your place of business. I know some of you have been unemployed. I know some of you have struggles at home with your spouse with children with someone else in your family I know that I know you're struggling with maybe addictions and other afflictions I, I know that can I tell you something the God of all comfort is here in this room right now and he promises to minister to you he promises to provide comfort and strength through that comfort to you. He's speaking that over your life right now, this moment. He's waiting for you to receive it. I, I don't, I don't, I don't know how else to say it. That to me, it's very simple, but yet so profound, isn't it? That here's a God that cares about you enough to be involved in your life to see exactly what's going on. You know what the Bible says? Think about this for a moment. It says that he's numbered every tear that you've cried. Now it doesn't say this in the Bible, but he he says he's numbered every tear that you've ever cried. I, I extrapolate from that and I go on. I think maybe I'll stand before God someday and he'll hold up a vial. He'll say, Brian... I want you to know the depth of my love for you. You know, every tear that you've ever shed, yes, Lord. Well, here they are. There's 2,563,221 tears in here. I numbered every one of them. I saw everyone that splashed on your pillow at night. I saw everyone you prayed in your prayer time. I saw as you drove down the road in your car and pulled over. I saw every time you cried out to me. I saw everyone. And I was there for you. If you're here this morning, I, I'm just, as the pastors and as our elders and board, board of directors come, just stand up here.